If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, we'll begin reading in chapter 15, verse 36. We'll continue reading through chapter 16, verse 10. So we are going to uh, finish up the end of chapter 15 and get into chapter 16. I do not like the chapter divisions here. Um, I think they're poorly placed in this area, and so I'm going to connect these together a little bit better. Uh, So we're going to be jumping through a chapter. So beginning in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, and we'll go to this one. Looks like I'm stuck on this one. I'm going to hand you this in a little bit after our Bible reading and stuff. So I'll let you play with it and see if you can get it going by the message. All right, we're in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. We're going to try this one more time. And I'll be reading out the New King James Version. Follow along as I read. God's Word declares, Then after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the Word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decree to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing through Mycenae, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding, that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. This morning I'm going to take on a pretty significant section of Scripture for me that um, might be a little more of a challenge than what it needed to be. I'll try to get myself finished put together here. We have just completed a season of rejoicing over the Discovery, I will put it like that, for the early church of God's work among all men. Not just Jewish men, and really not men, just males. We're talking about mankind. Um, that God has always designed, and we have seen it through the prophetic word as well in the Old Testament, that God has always desired all men everywhere to come to repentance. That his intention for Abraham wasn't that he would just be the father of a nation for God, but many. And that he would be a light to the Gentiles, to all nations. And its ultimate fulfillment, while we certainly see examples of it in the likes of Rahab and uh, Naaman and other examples throughout the Old Testament, including kings like Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh under Joseph, we find many who come to the point of worshiping the God of Israel. But its ultimate fulfillment isn't until Jesus Christ and the church's discovery of this uh, brought great joy to all. To, to the extent of uh, the explosion, really, of the church in the Roman Empire... Uh, that would uh, be carried on in the months and years and decades really following the event that we have just previously studied, the Jerusalem Council coming to a determination 
that is not the law that they need to keep, it is not the Jewish law, but rather it is the requirements of, of God from creation and from the flood. That these that God required, that uh, there be a relationship between a man and his wife, that they become one flesh, um, and that that be sanctified in the, in, among God's people uh, by restraining and refraining from any acts of immorality of all sorts, that we uh, recognize that life is in the blood, as the scripture declares, and that therefore that we do not uh, consume blood, and that we recognize that there is one true and living God. And so we do not participate in the worship of other gods in any form. And so all of these predate the law and really go back into the instructions of God to the people of God, who are people of faith, not people of Israel, there was no Israel yet, <laughs> but the people of God who are of faith. And so this comes open to all men. And we saw a great rejoicing there. And certainly with that news came a desire within our missionary pair, Paul and Barnabas, to let that good news get out. Because certainly there were going to be Judaizers who were going to get out and spread their news of, the, of their expectation that you will receive Christ only if you receive circumcision first, or along with it, and that you're not truly saved unless you accept the law. And so they were anxious to get out and to share this good news, that uh, Christ is sufficient, and there is no more. And uh, this, this finding of the Jerusalem Council uh, and so we're going to see the events that, that uh, surround this opportunity for them to spread what this joy that had a powerful impact upon not only the Jerusalem church, uh, we saw its impact on Samaria, on the coastal regions uh, of, of Israel and Lebanon and that area, uh, and then, of course, on Antioch. And before we do so, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for an opportunity to look into your word and we uh, pray your spirit's direction uh, that what is said is in accordance with your truth, that it be guarded from error and opinion, that it uh, be recognized and uh, trusted and believed, that it might uh, empower us as you promised and that we might in response be obedient. And Lord, not in our own strength or our own will, but in the power of your Spirit and by your will, that we might uh, sanctify ourselves to your service, even as we mortify the flesh. And give us that wisdom to engage in that and to study your word. And Lord, we want to open our hearts up to its truth and to the example set forth there, that they might uh, impact us, not only today, but all our days. To your glory, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have good news, and we want to share it. Surprise. We've got a good report, and we should be anxious to get it out there, and Paul and Barnabas were just that. They wanted to go back, visit the churches that they'd been in, and uh, report to them all that uh, had been discussed and determined uh, there in Jerusalem, things that they had certainly rehearsed with the brethren there at Antioch, that they had spent a good time together there, that we had added to the teaching body of the church through one man named Silas, who was so excited about what was going on in Antioch that he wanted to stick around and uh, participate. And remember, he's described also as a prophet, that he also had the credentials like Barnabas going up into there that was uh, supplied by the apostles there in Jerusalem. And so we have a pretty significant body of teachers here. Because remember, we had those five men in prayer all ready and willing to go out on a missionary journey. God says, separate for me Paul and Barnabas for the work I have for them. The other three were still there. And now we're having Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch. We have now Silas coming and he wanting to stay. Uh, we, we see that this is becoming a very strong church. In fact, the entire center of Christianity will be moving in a, in a generation or two up into Antioch. Antioch will become kind of the, the core of Christianity 
for quite a while until it, it moves uh, farther west. But uh, for a season, it's going to come out of <coughs> excuse me, come out of uh, Jerusalem and really be centered in Antioch. And you can see how they already have that that impact that they have these powerful quality preachers there who are strengthening these people and out of Antioch are really coming some of the hallmark obedience to God's word that we value so highly today that it seemed in many occasions the church in Jerusalem had to be prodded into obeying God's commands whereas the church in Antioch seems to be anxious to obey those commands and they're leading the way and they're going to lead the way in Christianity um, in generations to come and so we find a very powerful church there. And Paul and Barnabas, seeing this church really uh, strengthened and built up, <coughs> recognize that they still have a responsibility to those churches that they had previously gone to. And so we come to verse 36, and it says, Then after some days, Paul and Barnabas said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And so... Like any good parents, they want to check in on their children. They want to check in on these that they have participated in coming to Christ and forming churches. They kind of left them to them to the Lord and committed them there and uh, had given them some final instructions that we saw in chapter 14. And uh, with one, and now they want to travel back. They want to see what God is doing amongst them, uh, as well as carry this good news. And so we can fully understand this. Well, um, they had started off the last missionary journey with a young apprentice. His name was John Mark. And John Mark, of course, as we studied, failed. He failed and uh, created sort of a distraction for um, the missionary team. And so we had that one community that really didn't get penetrated the gospel until the return visit. And uh, whatever occurred there, we're not told and we don't need to know. Uh, John Mark went back home. He left that coastal city and, and headed back home while Paul and Barnabas pressed on uh, into Galatia. And so we find um, now Barnabas says, well, I think uh, we should give him another shot. And, and it says that Barnabas was determined <laughs> to take with them John called Mark. He wasn't ready to give up on John. And uh, this is Barnabas' way. Remember, what Barnabas is not his actual name. It's his nickname. Uh, he is the son of encouragement. It is his uh, personality and ministry to really take these kind of men under his wings and to nurture them and to bring them into the service of the Lord. He did this for Paul. He went out there and sought Paul and Tarsus. He, he dug them up and, and uh, literally turned over every rock is kind of the Greek word there used that he sought him. Uh, went to seek Saul and had to dig him out of Tarsus, bring him and uh, bring him into the ministry of the church and then see God use him. And so this is Barnabas' ministry. And so he still saw value in John Mark, saw potential there for ministry uh, and wanted to support and encourage and, and develop that. Of course, Paul on the other side said, what? well, how can we take that risk again? Um, he was unfaithful. And we have not seen anything further that would evidence that that has changed. And so from, from Paul's perspective, this was a risk that he was not willing to take on this journey. Um, he insists, just a, a very strong word about in verse 37, that Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Paul was insistent, insisted that they should not take him with them. This was, both of them had very strong positions and, and we're not ever told who was right or wrong. And I don't know that either one of them was right or wrong. We can, of course, go to a later passage where Paul says, you know, send John Mark, he's profitable to the ministry, um, and say, well, then Paul was wrong and Barnabas was right. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, we don't know really how that ministry team worked out heading to Cyprus with Barnabas, because Barnabas is going to separate off. Uh, we don't know how long it takes for John Mark to get his act together, uh, whether it was this early or whether it was seasons later. Um, but Paul was adamant that this was not going to happen. And again, we can look at this kind of 
content you and say, well, out of this strong, unified, excited, growing, uh, powerful church comes these two individuals who are certainly an element of that strengthening of the church. And uh, certainly they have to always agree with each other. There cannot be this kind of argumentation. But in fact, there is. Um, Both of these men had very strong opinions. Uh, They recognized the others, uh, but they didn't agree with it. And they weren't going to come to that agreement together. They recognized that very quickly. And um, by verse 39, it says that this contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so they decide they're going to take different paths. We're going to form two teams. Um, If you want to take John Mark, go ahead, you take him. But I'm not going to go with you. I'll find someone else. Or from Barnabas' perspective, Paul, you go ahead. I'm going to go off and I am going to invest myself still in this young man. Uh, And by the way, he's not that young by now. Just to let you know, um, that missionary journey, its return trip, the long time they spent with the disciples of Antioch, the trip down to Jerusalem, the time they spent now in Antioch again. So John Mark has had a few years to develop a little bit more maturity and hopefully a little more faithfulness. Um, but Paul just cannot release himself from the unfaithfulness of John Mark in the first journey and just could not see that we could take that risk once again here. And so they decided they would each go their own. Uh, and Barnabas takes Mark and he goes to his hometown, Cyprus. Remember, that's his area that he's familiar with, most familiar with. So he's going to head to that early part of the missionary journey and head kind of the same direction as the first missionary journey. He's going to head there where they started in that last time together. And then Paul is going to select Silas. And Silas, of course, we already have been introduced to. He is stuck around there. He has been profitable ministry. He is he is in high regard by the by the apostles and the and the leaders there in uh, Jerusalem. He has demonstrated his proficiency there in Antioch, and his and his value is is noticeable. And Paul invites him to join him on this second journey. And of course, Paul is going to then go uh, back into the regions that he's familiar with. Uh, remember, he on his first missionary journey, he almost got to Tarsus, not quite, and then turned around. He almost got back home, uh, Lystra Derby, right there in the vicinity, uh, and then they doubled back and revisited the churches. So he's going to take um, Silas with him. And Luke adds with us uh, in verse 40, it says, But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so as he's traveling, he's not going to go by boat he's in, and do that trip. He's going to go across land, which takes him through these other regions. Uh, and we have an assumption. Who are the churches in Syria? We're not really told about them, their start. But we have to recognize that this is the natural work of the Church of Antioch. That the Church of Antioch, um, being a vibrant, living church, strong and with multiple teachers, was not about to do the same mistake that Jerusalem church did, and that is, we're meeting in Solomon's porch. If you want to hear about it, you've got to come to us. That is the mega church model, and God is not approved of that. The Antioch model is much more preferred and is blessed of God, and God, where they simply went out <clears throat> into the regions around and established churches throughout Syria. They're just surrounding themselves with little churches. Every little bird, they send these guys out and start these churches. And this is the model that is in conformity with the command of God that we go to make disciples. That we go out there. That we penetrate these communities. That a vibrant church isn't about ingrowth and and about expansion of its own walls, but of multiplication. We are not about addition. We should be about multiplication. That we are multiplying ourselves. And Antioch Church um, that followed these models and uh, had an understanding of this, superior even to Jerusalem's understanding at, at this season, 
And they're multiplying churches. So on his way out, Paul has plenty of places to visit. Um, I'm convinced that these are all churches burst out of Antioch throughout this region. And so he and Silas are heading out and they're uh, making their way, trying to get over to Lystra and Derbe, uh, which is the farthest east they went. Remember, they kind of uh, went out here and then worked their way from west to east and then went back west and then came back over and, and sailed back to Antioch on the Mediterranean. And so they're just working over land and they're going to work from east to west uh, and visit the churches and communicate to them the good news of what happened there. And so we might look at this and say, well, this is all born out of contention. This shouldn't happen this way. Uh, and again, these are two, both men are godly men. Both men we can look up to and, and we can see that God's working in their lives and by their hand. Uh, and we're not going to choose the side. It is not really our place. And, and certainly Luke tells us that the brethren that are Antioch saw the value of Paul and Silas as a missionary team and blessed them. We're not told that they didn't bless Barnabas. Um, they may or may not have, but from Luke's perspective, um, he wasn't involved in that side of this uh, argument. He was familiar with this side and what transpired. And so we're going to lose track of Paul, or I'm sorry, Barnabas and John Mark. We're going to lose track of them a little bit. We're not really going to follow them because that's not where Luke was informed of. He wasn't aware of there. We know historically from other documents that, uh, that there is some evidence that they were a good team and, and uh, maybe have involved in penetrating some of North Africa from Cyprus. And so uh, we have some other information about that, but we really don't have it here in the book of Acts. And so can God work through two godly men who don't agree becomes the real question. And we're not talking over doctrinal disagreement. We're not talking over uh, significant issues that determine the, the handling of God's word, of, of theological issues. We're not dealing with, with whether one is teaching the truth and one is not teaching the truth. For if, if that were the decision, then we would certainly want to see who was right and who was wrong. That's not what this is about. This is about nothing like that. This is about one man's uh, opinion or, or sense that he wanted to invest in this versus another man's opinion that why take a risk again on that guy who is unfaithful and, and disruptive to our, to our work? Um, why put him back into that role? And so these were two men with very strong characters and very godly lives who came to a disagreement. Does that happen? Over areas of opinion, not, I repeat, not doctrinal errors, er, areas, but over areas of opinion. And the answer is yes. All the time. Can it become pointed and even uh, to the point of, of a contention that as the, the, the word I translated here <coughs> as sharp, uh, a pointed, that it was something that they just could not resolve. One was so determined to do it this way, the other so determined to do it that way. And again, not really over the church, but over an individual. How are we going to do this, and are we going to invite this man to be involved in this ministry or not? And the conclusion that we're going to come to, hopefully, is that God uses it. Is God pleased by it? No. No. But God uses it. And this is a conclusion that we learn from Paul himself as he writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God um, in Romans that God can work all things together for the good of those who love him and call according to his purposes. That one facet of the calling of God is that he uses us. And even, uh, we often think about that, oh, when bad things happen to me, God will turn it to good. And we think of examples like Joseph and where he says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Um, and we often think of that as the enemy. We don't often think of that same 
principle there in Romans 8 as applying to uh, arguments within the church that then cause two people that necessarily need to separate from themselves in ministry. There have been plenty of churches established that way in our land, and uh, it's not a very good testimony to the world, really, when that happens through church splits. And uh, uh, when a church uh, needs to split because of doctrinal things, that is a significant and necessary thing. If we have a group within our a church that is seeking to implement some unbiblical things like the Judaizers that Paul's just gotten done dealing with, and that contention with them that he was there was no way that he's going to let them have their way, no way at all that there was just um, we just have to agree to disagree. No, not a chance. There was not a chance that Paul was going to just. Say, we're just going to have to agree to disagree with these Judaizers who are trying to implement circumcision in the Jewish law on new believers who weren't born Jewish. That contention was very different. It was going to be resolved. It was going to be resolved rightly. And it was going to be resolved with God's word and with the, uh, with the balance of God's people. This wasn't a personal issue. This was a significant theological principle that needed to be firmly established and that there is no gray area, there is, there is only right and there is wrong and we will show you to be an error and we will not allow you access or input in the church. That is very different than what just happened between Paul and Barnabas. And so in that arena, um, we're going to fight to the death. We're going we're gonna to fight this thing. And when a church needs to extract false teaching or error from its midst, um, that is something to be applauded. When we see uh, modernism, when we see liberalism coming into a church, when we see an assault on the authority and the inspiration of, the, of God's Word, when we see assault on the personal work of Jesus Christ, and we find these cardinal truths beginning to be to be uh, worn down and the, the edges rubbed off of them, uh, we need to react and we need to react uh, almost violently. Not violently. We're not going to punch anybody. But we need to react uh, in a spiritually violent manner that, no, we don't want that. We want to purge that from us. And if we need to separate out and remove a whole group within the church, we'll do so to maintain the purity. But that's not what's happening here. This is a personal opinion difference. And that's a whole different environment. And we have certainly uh, seen churches, and uh, maybe you haven't been in churches long enough or heard enough, um, the, the old adage is the church that had to split over the color of the carpet. And so that's why we don't have, oh, we do have carpet over there. Um, that uh, one group wanted it this color and this style. Another group wanted it this style and color. And so they uh, couldn't get along. And so the church that wanted it this, the group within the church wanted it this color left. Um, sometimes it's over people, just like it was for Paul and Barnabas. I like that pastor. Well, I don't like him. So we're going to split. And we're following the youth pastor and we're going to follow the pastor. Hopefully that's only personality issues and not theological and doctrinal issues. It's amazing how quickly we try to make them doctrinal issues to substantiate it. But uh, at some point, let's just be honest and say we have differences of opinion that we can't seem to overcome. And so we're going to part ways. We're not going to part ways as enemies. We're going to part ways with a recognition that um, our doctrine is the same. Our practice is the same. We have the same commitment to God's word. But in this one thing, you have a very strong opinion one way. I have a strong opinion another way. Um, you can have arguments for yours. I have arguments for mine. And, uh, and we're not going to resolve this. And so at that point, when we're dealing with personal opinion then comes the point where we agree to disagree. And only then. Again, this is not something that we are going to use in our doctrinal studies, 
in our handling of God's Word. Uh, we don't ever come to the point of agreeing to disagree. We will simply say, this is God's Word, this is what it teaches, either conform yourself to it or leave. With malice. I mean, we want you to, we don't, we're not friends splitting ways. We are going to decry your position as error, as heresy, or as liberalism. We're going to call it what it is. We are not going to be friendly in this because you've committed yourself to error. And if you want to see how unfriendly Paul is towards those people, read the book of Galatians and see what he thinks of them. I mean, he has some pretty strong words for them and, and he has some pretty strong things he'd like them to do themselves. Go cut yourselves off. Boy, if I talk like that about some churches, you'd get really mad. That's offensive. Well, they're offensive. And they want to say that Christ isn't enough and they want to add to him. That should be offensive, strongly offensive, to the point that we don't, not only do we not want them around, we're not ever going to come into an agreement with them. But when it comes to personal opinion, God can use those kinds of disagreements to multiply his work. And now where there was one missionary team going out, we have two missionary teams going out, and God worked it out for the good. And again, these are two teams that are equal in authority. They're following God's word, who are, who are committed believers, who are godly men, who are profitable to the ministry, um, and they have a difference of opinion. So this is going to go this way, this is going to go that way. And God can use that to multiply. We come to verse chapter 16 and we're going to follow one of those teams. And interestingly, not only are we going to see Silas now swept into this ministry, this is what's really exciting about the, if you want to be exciting about contentions, um, we're going to see men swept into, just, just flowing into the ministry. Uh, John Mark is going to come in. All right? We would have cut him off. I, I, I'm, I'm Paul, okay? I'm like, I'm done with him. And, and I get fed up with people. You know, I, I get tired of unfaithfulness. And, and, and I don't tolerate it very well. I, I don't like it. And, and uh, I, if I don't see it corrected, I, I'm willing to cut bands. I, I'm, I'm willing to do that. I'm Paul. Some of you are Barnabases. You're a little more patient and, and, and I, probably bigger risk takers than me um, in that regard. Um, but in the midst of this, what we see is an inflow of people into the ministry. Now John Mark is going to be involved in ministry again. With Uncle Barnabas. They're going to go out. And now in comes Silas, but we're still not done. We get to chapter 16, and in flows another young man. They're, they finally make it to Lystra and Derby, and, and, they're, and they, they pick up and they see a young man who is well spoken of, and uh, of Lystra and Iconium, they're all in that region. Um, and Paul recognizes this, because he's got a lot of potential, and he saw something in him that he didn't see in John Mark, and so he, he brings him in and says, I want to... Take him on. I, I want him to uh, be my student, if you will. My apprentice. And he recognizes that he's got a few edges that need to be addressed. And Paul is, is willing to address those. Um, he's willing to invest in that. And, and so he recognizes that uh, who we're going to reach, we're going to be going into synagogues, um, still, we're still going to try to go after the Jewish people. We're not going to just blow them away because now we're all Gentiles. No, we're still going to reach them. And so everyone in this area, uh, and remember it's largely Jewish still um, in many of these regions. There are, are, there's a significant Gentile population there in the church. But uh, they recognize this is an uncircumcised man. He says you don't have to be circumcised um, to be a believer, but en enable you to follow us in ministry into the synagogues, you're going to have to take on circumcision. Very deliberate. Do you have to be circumcised? No. 
But does circumcision hurt you? No. It doesn't hurt your walk with God. Um, what does Paul say? It's, it's circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. It doesn't matter. Um, but it matters. But the people to whom it matters are some of the people that we're ministering to. So to not for your own salvation, Timothy, but to affect your ministry to this group of people, we're going to have you circumcised because it's largely known that you're a Greek, son of a Greek guy. And so... Um, we're going to have that accomplished, and now you have just opened up this other area of ministry for you um, that hopefully one day uh, circumcision won't be an issue of ministry, but in this day uh, it is for Timothy and Paul. And so Paul takes it, this young man and uh, that we know is raised by largely his mother and grandmother. We were told about that in, in Timothy, the book of Timothy. Um, and so... Uh, they're delivering the decree to keep. Everyone's excited. The church is strengthened in faith. They increase in numbers daily. That as Paul, Silas, and Timothy are heading out, and they're going to add others along the way. This is what the, this this concept. Paul isn't against the concept of developing young men into the ministry. Oh no, it wasn't the concept that Paul's against. It was the person he was against. He didn't want to re-invest uh, in John Mark. He said, we need to move on. That guy has, has let us down. And I don't have the patience and personality to deal with that. And Barnabas did. And so, in comes Silas. In comes Timothy. Later on, we're going to have Titus come in. We're going to have Trophimus. We're going to have Erasmus. You're going to have Luke come in. You're going to have Trophimus. All these men are going to be joining up with Paul. Some are going to fail. Demas. Some of these guys are going to fail him. He's going to come across slaves that are run away or Onesimus. He's going to come across all these people. He's going to invest in them. He's going to think about the principle he holds to. Here are two men with the same principles. We need to train young men for ministry. We need to take that responsibility. Um, the question wasn't doctrinally. The question wasn't in principle or practice. The question was about that one particular individual. So Paul here is ready. He says, I see in Timothy uh, all the potential and, and he's got a good report. He loves the Lord and we're going to bring him into ministry and it's just expanding. Now, you and I might keep reading and if we didn't know the rest of the book of Acts, we might conclude that Paul made a mistake. Why would we conclude that? Because as we read on in chapter 16, we find out that everywhere he went, he didn't have any peace. God wouldn't let him minister. I say, boy, he's really messed up. Because we're reactionary in our evaluation of people. We react and we don't... And, and uh, the old adage is, um, God uses a calendar and we tend to use a watch in a lot of areas. How long did it take for God to get Moses ready? Eighty years old when he's ready to start. It took God 80 years to get Moses ready to start his ministry. We use watches and in fact, watches are too slow now. What we, uh, now we're measuring things in nanoseconds. Um, <laughs> and God uses lifespans. He measures in calendars, in decades. He took 12 years to get Paul ready after he had come to Christ in Damascus. Um, and we need to recognize that God's timetable isn't ours and we try to speed our way through things that simply take maturity. And Paul recognizes this. And so he's going to invest himself in Timothy and that investment is going to go with the rest of his ministry. He's going to invest himself in Titus. He's going to invest himself in Luke as well who is our author here, and our human author here in, in Acts as well as in the Gospel of Luke. And we find that as they do so, the churches are strengthened. But we look at the next 
thing, we say, oh, they must be failing. Why? Because it says they were forbidden in verse 6. Spirit wouldn't permit them in verse 7. And we say, well, everywhere they're just hitting their head against the wall. They're not getting anywhere. Oh, Barnabas must have been right. Paul's wrong. That's it. You see, most of us would have ended the relationship right there around verse 8 and said, well, they're just wandering around and they're not getting anywhere. They're not getting anything done. They're not, they're, they seem to be just wandering. They have no point. They have no, no objective. They're just kind of meandering here and there and, and, and everything they try, they fail at. And Paul wants to go up into Asia and God won't let him go into there. And, and, and that doesn't necessarily, Asia for that region isn't, China, it's, it's more up in the Caspian Sea area. And so when we, we see the, the effort that he has to go into ministry, he wants to minister, and he's got the people, um, and it would seem that he's got the blessing of the Church of Antioch, and we see the, the established churches strengthened and, and enjoying his ministry, but then we see him going out and wanting to spread the gospel, and we see him coming up against dead ends. And we might say, you see... He's not the man we should be following. We should have gone with Barnabas. He was right. No. God closes doors to accomplish His purposes. And again, for a second time, we have something to learn about God's work in directing His activity. We always think of it as going positive. We never think of His work as working through the negative. And so He has already developed two missionary teams by using a difference of opinion about one guy. That's a pretty narrow, specific item that they have a difference of opinion on. So now we have two missionary teams out there. And I'm convinced that this is God working out what's good out of what's going on among men. And now we have Paul seeming to bang up against wall after wall when he's trying to follow the Lord. And we might say, oh, God's abandoned him. God hasn't abandoned him. God is directing him. And God directs not just by open doors, but by closed doors. That is that, uh, and uh, we tend to follow the sound of music principle that, you know, if you don't, if the door isn't open, you go out the window. You know what that means? Just do what you want to do. Can't use the door? Use the window. Well, you're escaping the will of God. Because if God has closed the door, there's a reason. In His plan. We don't really know why God didn't want them to go up in that area. Other than we know that He had a people prepared to receive His word in Greece. The gospel is going to go west. And so, out of total frustration, we find him um, coming into Troas and just waiting. In verse 9, we have this famous passage. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And Luke has very gently helped us recognize that there are not just three going, that there are at least four now. You see, in verses 6, 7, and 8, it was they. They, 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 they. Do you see that? They went, they went, they went, they went. They kept hitting up against dead ends. Frustration. Oh, is God abandoning us? What's going on? God isn't with us. Maybe we made bad choices. Maybe this whole thing just isn't blessed of His. No, not at all. Just like the contention that split these two brought more men into the ministry, so now the dead ends allowed someone to join them. And while they're at Troas, whatever went on there, a guy named Luke was able to hook up with his team. And now we have 
not just Silas with Paul and Luke. Something's going on here. Oh, that's somebody out there. Wow. They must be impressive. <clears throat> Bet you they have all the girls. Can't hear, but they have all the girls. Um, now, in addition to having Silas and Timothy, they have Luke. It has gone from they to us. All those dead ends, that time and that frustration, once again, we might look at that and say, oh, that can't be the blessing of God. That can't be the leading of God. God must be abandoning him. We might come to that and conclude that. But instead, what we find is, is that yet another tool that God has used to bring in yet another man into the ministry, a man named Luke, that we are dependent upon for the Gospel of Luke and this book that we are studying right now. And by means of these things that we might look at as negative, God has used to bring others into ministry. And now we have this influx that, that uh, we have a team of at least four men heading off to Macedonia and uh, they're immediately going to respond. And Luke is thrilled now, I'm sure, to be among them. Um, and, he, and it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for these closed doors, closed doors, closed doors. Because they would have traveled up to Asia, they would have not made contact with Luke, and they would not have had this man that God had determined would be a servant of his and a writer of some of his scripture. All because of the frustration of dead ends. So before we throw up our arms and declare that God has abandoned us because we're not getting our way or we just can't see clearly what he wants next, this week, um, let's recognize that God has a larger plan, maybe even larger than, than your day planner. It might go beyond the end of the year. Or the end of this week. My day planner is, it doesn't go to the end of the year. Um, I don't plan that far ahead. Because plan A is implemented every day first. Let tomorrow worry about itself. God will take care of it. And we don't find Paul giving up. We find him settling and realizing, I just need to stop and wait for God. And all those frustrating things that we might jump to conclusions about that, oh, these are negatives... We need to rather recognize them as, you know, God has a purpose that he is working out in us so that we can serve him better. And I need to wait on that. And if that means waiting here, and then all of a sudden in comes this guy named Luke. And I don't, we don't we're not told a lot about Luke. Uh, we believe he's a physician, we, which would mean that he was probably someone's slave um, that may have been a believer's slave because most physicians and teachers were slaves back then. Sorry. So, so if you had that kind of skill, normally you were somebody's slave serving a household, a large household, um, in, in the area of education or medicine. Um, another believer may have given to him. He may have been a freedman, um, freed, you know, bought in his way out or whatever, and, and then connected up with Paul and Silas and Timothy. But we have now a complete team it would seem. And Luke is ready to join this team and to travel with them. And if God hadn't closed the doors and, and gotten Paul to sit still and wait, he would have never come up and had Luke join him. And we'd be missing a gospel in this book of Acts um, that we have before us. So God had a purpose. God had, had intention in things that we think of as negatives. Because we only think of the immediate we tend to be like Paul and we just want to go. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. And sometimes, then bam, we hit a wall. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to go over here. Bam. Oh, well, I'm going to go over there. Bam. Just sit down and wait. I'm, I'll let you know when to go. And as he's waiting, God brings a man that's going to enhance their ministry and fill out this team that God wants put together. 
And now Luke joins them. And it says that we, after he had seen the vision, we thought to go to Macedonia, and we, had a, we, we have a conclusion. The Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. The Macedonian vision we often look at, and, and I've encountered classmates and others that are looking for the vision. They want the vision. Um, and we applaud Paul, and we would applaud people today who are just out there trying to do something for God. Uh, and, we, and that's okay. We Knock on a few doors. Find out. Um, but when God closes doors, let's not just conclude, well, he can't use me. The fact is, is that um, maybe 10 or 12 years from now, you'll be ready to be used. What am I supposed to do for 10 to 12 years? Get ready. Mature. Be strengthened. Build your skills. Get to know God's Word. Walk in the Spirit. Maybe by the time you're 60, you'll be ready to be used. I don't know. I don't know when that'll be. You don't know when that'll be, but God does. He knows when you're going to be ready. We all want to be ready out of the chute. In fact, we're so anxious about it, we're throwing children into ministry. And then we're appalled when they come out and say, well, I made it all up. The little boy never did visit heaven. They wrote the book and all that stuff. Finally admitted that it was all made up. We don't need children in the ministry. We need mature believers who are waiting on the Lord and dependent upon Him and ready to go the second He says, let's go. You've got your team together now. You've got all the elements in place. You didn't think you needed Luke, but I know you need Luke. You didn't even maybe even know that Luke was out there, but I knew he was out there. And I knew Timothy was there, and we all knew Silas was there and ready for ministry. And so we see these negative things that we would cast a despairing eye on this whole passage, but we see that God is at work in there expanding and multiplying the ministry of the church and the ministry of these men by working through these things that we would conclude were negative and were not honoring to God. But we need to reserve those kinds of conclusions for way, way, way down the road, uh, especially when we're talking about issues of opinion, not doctrine or practice. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you. You may be anywhere in this milieu of things that we might see of as negative, um, but God's at work. And we don't just throw ourselves down and say, I'm useless, I'm useless. You know, God can't lead me. God can't use me. No, we never say that. We say, how can I make myself more usable? And sometimes that means you've got to stay put in Troas for a little while and wait for God to bring in that next person that's going to complete your ministry and, and to enhance it and develop it so that it can have a more powerful impact, not only on your generation, but for many generations to come. We are still benefiting from Luke joining that missionary team, aren't we? We're studying his book that he was used of God but to write today because of things that we might see as negatives. Trust in the Lord. He has a plan for your life. And the requirement that God puts on us is that we say what Christ said in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. I will investigate areas of ministry, but if God closes those doors, I am willing to kind of sit on my hands right here and wait for him to complete his work in me and around me so that then I am ready to go the instant he says, let's go, you're ready now. And the only thing I can see that they had to wait for was Luke. They needed Luke with their team. God wanted him there. And now you're ready to go to Macedonia. And so, I just, again, let's not be so quick to say God's abandoned them or they're wandering and pointless. 
or they don't want to serve the Lord anymore, or these two can't be used of God because they have a disagreement of opinion. Rather, let's recognize that these kinds of things God can use for good. That He is still at work and will accomplish His purposes. And it, what, so what falls on us? What is our responsibility then? Our responsibility is to wait on the Lord. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. Our responsibility is to walk in the Spirit while we're waiting on the Lord. Our responsibility is to mature in our walk. I am pretty sure that Paul didn't just go to Tarsus and do nothing and become dejected. Maybe he did. He was certainly frustrated. He was a driven person, type A. I'm going to get out there and get it done, get it done, get it done. And God says, no, no, no. Go back. Just sit still. Oh, that we would have that willingness to say, I'll wait on the Lord. I will trust in Him. I will walk in Him while in the Spirit while I'm waiting. And I will mature as a believer. Maybe all the bad stuff that you complain about is really just the preparatory work for something God really has in your life. So, do I really want any of you to come to such a disagreement that you need to part ways over things that don't, aren't that critical? Not really. But if it happens, I can trust the Lord. Can we wait on the Lord? When it seems like we have a dead end, dead end, dead end, dead end, everything you try to do just doesn't get anywhere for God? Yeah. We can wait on the Lord to open up the doors of ministry that He wants us to be involved in. I would love to have a great big building right over there on that next area of our property and to see it filled up and all that, but somehow God wanted a building in Haiti instead. He wants to see... I'd love to have a... a, No, I wouldn't really. (laughs) A, A pastoral staff. I would not want a pastoral staff. I would not do good with a pastoral staff at all. Um, um, But we have a pastoral staff, but they're all in India. We have a wonderful opportunity to minister there. And we'll go where God and minister how God allows us. And we'll wait. Not viewing waiting as failure. But recognizing that God is not measuring ministry by nanoseconds. He's measuring it by lifetimes. Decades. Years. This is what I warned our men about the skate park. If you're not invested in this for years, don't start it. And they have been. How many years has it been, David? Five? Six? Six plus. Faithfulness. We'll wait on the Lord. We'll wait on the Lord. We'll minister where He allows us. And when there's contentions that are of personal issues that are about opinions, um, we'll see those that God can still work as those are resolved or unresolved and not see everything negatively. Trust the Lord. Walk in His Spirit. Wait. And be ready to go the instant He directs your path. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank You for Your love for us and for this example that You've given to us. And Lord, we rejoice that You used all of these things to bring the Gospel with great power and effect upon a region of the empire called Greece. And we thank you. And we pray that we might view similarly the same things that we encounter of contentions between believers, of, of uh, dead ends, of attempts of ministry, and of hardships and 
where it seems sometimes that we're not going anywhere. Where it seems that maybe you've not approved of us, our ministry. And Lord, we pray that you might give us eyes that see that you work all things together for our good. That we need, Lord, your work in our lives. That we might be instruments fit for your use. Not only in our lives, but those around us as well. In our environments. And Lord, we pray that we might be willing be ready at an instant's notice to go to work wherever you would put us in whatever form of ministry you would have for us with whom you would have us minister. We might rejoice in your good hand at the end of our days. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name.